We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big run by Fred Taylor and, you know, Brunel and Jimmy Smith looking good. And Brunel hits this seven-yard touchdown to Kyle Brady. I, I remember being in my, my parents' basement watching this game. Fired up. I'm not watching with any friends or anything. I was like the only Jags fan in, in New England at the time. But I was fired up. I mean, they looked coming off that Dolphins game and then the their first drive going down and scoring. It looked great. And, and then, again, you know, James Stewart scores and they're up 14-7. It's just you're feeling good. And then you're, you know, pretty much a half away from going to the Super Bowl. And It's January 2000, Titans at Jags. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Semerick, and my now three-time guest is Pro Football Focus Head of Product and host of the PFF NFL show, Steve Palazzolo. You came on the first time for the great triumph at the start of the championship window with the Jags winning at mile high. But for today, we're combing through how the 90s Jags met their remarkably cruel end. Spoilers, they get Jeff Fisher three times in one season and finish 15-3. and three. Is there a modern comparison for a perennial contender getting trolled so relentlessly without respite as Jacksonville suffered at the hands of Tennessee in the late 90s? Uh, I don't know if there really is an equivalent like that. I mean, <sighs> Why do we have to do this show? It's so sad. My 99 Jags. But the, I don't know, like Shanahan's 49ers always beating the Rams, but the Rams got, you know, retribution in in, in 2021 to get to the Super Bowl. I, I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that. The Jags were the best team in the league that year, 14-2. and two, But in, in hindsight, if you look at their schedule, it looked difficult on paper until you actually got to the games. It was like they played the defending Super Bowl champion Broncos, but Elway had just retired, so they weren't the same team. And they played the Jets, who were beat them the previous year to go to the AFC Championship, but Vinny Testaverde gets hurt in Week 1, so they run into Rick Meyer and the Jets. So the maybe the Jags weren't as good as their record showed because of all these teams that they played that looked tough on paper weren't really that difficult when they got to them, but I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything like this, the 99 Jags losing three times and uh, just to the Titans and no one else. Maybe my high school team, high school basketball, we had six losses, four to our rival, including I – mean, that's that's the only comparison I could come come to. North Reading High School losing to uh, Linfield High School four times. Deep cut. Uh, that same exact year, 
we have 15 and 2 and 15 and 3 teams facing off for a trip to the Super Bowl, but it's the third meeting between division rivals. So naturally, 10 combined turnovers. Uh, what was this rivalry like for you as a Jags fan, and how confident were you going in? I was confident going in because of what the Jags had done the previous week. So they had, it wasn't like they just couldn't beat Jeff Fisher's Oilers slash Titans at all. Um, they had played normal, you know, it was a normal series. And then in 1999, you had uh, week three, kind of a weird game. It was in the rain, some some weird turnovers in there. By the way, I, I did stumble upon an article that said that Greg Williams, the Titans defensive coordinator, had the Jaguars playbook. Oof. There was some some article from 2014 that said he had the playbook, um, which, you know, that explains that's that's a pretty solid excuse for the Jags losing. But they lose in week three, and then they lost in week 16 because Mark Brunel got hurt, only through 11 passes. He gets hurt, and uh, the Titans absolutely trounced them. So despite losing twice, the Jags were coming off the one of the greatest playoff, you know, dominant wins in history, 62-7 to over the Dolphins. Fred Taylor was back and healthy, looking crisp. They, The Jags were ready to go. Then they come out firing and everything. So I was confident going into this game with the Titans, and then – it became pretty bitter after that when when Tennessee wins the third game. It's like, man, this stupid team. I can't stand Fisher and the Titans and everything that they stand for because they're they're killing my team here. That week three game, Jacksonville's at home and McNair's out, so they're getting Neil O'Donnell connecting with the Ansi Thigpen in '99. I'm watching it right now. By the way, it's on in the background. <laughs> it just showed up on YouTube uh, a few months back. So, yeah, not fun. Jaguars conspire to get foiled by Fisher there, though some karmic retribution because the next year the, the Titans are complaining about the Ravens getting their playbook and you know, bouncing them in the divisional. So at least there's that. First couple minutes, things are going well. Uh, we got noise in Duval. Titans first snap, false start, then three and out. A bit of Jimmy Smith, a bit of Fred Taylor, and boom, we're inside the 10. Fred Taylor is ready to be a star, and he would lead all players in total yards today, despite all the squandered opportunities we'll see from the Jags here. But this man belongs in at least one Super Bowl media week, and it would have been interesting to see what that did for his legacy playing in you know, Jacksonville, which is, I don't think, a, a top 50 Nielsen market around then. Only player with 2,500 carries and 4.6 average or higher besides Barry Sanders and Adrian Peterson. Is Fred Taylor an eye test Hall of Famer for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he is only because I, um, I think in your initial notes, you mentioned Curtis Martin. I'm not going to lie. Like when Curtis Martin went into the Hall of Fame, I was surprised. I mean, I never watched Curtis Martin and I grew up in New England. You know, he started with the Patriots, goes to the Jets. I never looked at Curtis Martin and said, oh, yeah, definitely watching a Hall of Famer. Um, he was just a good, dependable running back. But Fred Taylor, you know, for whatever running backs are worth, we can not get into that whole discussion today. But when Fred Taylor shows up to the Jags in 1998 and just starts rattling off these 70-plus yard runs, Monday Night Football 1998 against the Dolphins, creating these big plays, the Jags offense – which was already explosive, had Brunel, uh, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McArdle. They could already throw the ball. Then they added this deep L, uh, this this big play element to the run game. You mentioned the 4.6 yards per attempt for Fred Taylor. He went from a really explosive home run hitter early in his career, but even later in his career, I thought one of his best years was maybe 2007 when the Jags made a little run 
with David Garrard under center. And Fred Taylor was just good at getting five. He was good at getting seven or eight. And, you know, he was shifty. He was powerful. Um, I I compared Dalvin Cook to Fred Taylor. You know, when you, Dalvin Cook's big playability and what he, what he has, I think, is like a modern comparison. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought Fred Taylor was better than some of the other, you know, grinded out type of backs of his time because he just ha- did have such great big playability. And the other thing about Fred Taylor, he was, you know, fragile Fred early in his career. He was hurt here in 98 or 98, but then in 99, um, missed a big chunk of uh, 01, I think it was. I mean, he just kept getting hurt, but then he became dependable and pretty durable after that. But um, he kind of lost some of his explosive years or a lot of games during his most explosive years. But yeah, Fred Taylor brought uh, a, just a big playability to this Jags offense, you know, into, into the run game. Play a quick game called Fred Taylor verse. We have some other running backs here in the Fred Taylor extended universe. I'm talking this era's other workhorses like Corey Dillon or guys who are just electric are a little underrated like Robert Smith. Who would you take against each of them? Fred Taylor verse. Corey Dillon's tough. I would definitely take Fred Taylor off over Robert Smith. Not to underrate. Robert Smith was a big play threat. I think Fred Taylor was a little better all around back. I think Corey Dillon and Fred Taylor are pretty close off the top of my head. Taylor, eh, give me Fred Taylor because we're Jags fan. But uh, the, you know, Corey Dillon was definitely underrated with Cincinnati and then got some love when he was in New England, of course. On the other sideline here, Eddie George. I'm taking Fred Taylor. I'm not taking Eddie George's grinded out 3.8 yards per carry. Eddie George was very good, and, and he was good for that offense. But again, Fred Taylor's big playability, I think. That's the uh, the trump card for me. Fred Taylor, definitely more efficient in this game. Uh, stir the pot a little bit. Another playoff foe for the, the Jaguars, at least over the years. Terrell Davis versus Fred Taylor, Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. Got to take Terrell Davis, you know, even though he's in that nice outside zone scheme and maybe benefited from having Mike Shanahan and everything. Terrell Davis was pretty special. He was His, his peak was, was absolutely incredible. So I'll, I'll give it to Terrell Davis for that one. Steve, today in a number eight, that Jacksonville throw. Well, it's now a throwback because I guess they got new jerseys. First drive ends with a Jags touchdown from the name on Steve's jersey, Mark Brunel. Roll out to hit Kyle Brady. And you know on NFL primetime, Boomer is going with Kyle, a man named Brady. We're tying in 60s, early 70s television programming where there's a will, there's a way, and I love it. Tom Coughlin shelled out cash that offseason to pull Kyle Brady away from the Jets and his old boss, Parcells get that blocking tight end. Another big signing, Cardinal Lake from the Steelers called for pass interference that negates the turnover on that next Titans drive. And then Bryce Pop, they got from the Bills the year prior, defensive player of the year 95, but here in 99 has a run at Steve McNair in the backfield. McNair gets away, picks up positive yards, as will happen again and again and again today. How did it feel to watch the Jags try to tackle? Uh, Steve McNair and and, uh, leave some opportunities on the table. Man, McNair was really a Jags killer, even though you mentioned, yeah, Neil O'Donnell was the QB in the week three game and did a pretty good job. But McNair just always seemed to make plays against the Jags. He was just very annoying. It looked really good early on in this Jags game, though, right? Like we mentioned, they were were up 62. They they beat the Dolphins 62 to 7. They were up 38 to nothing in the second quarter. They kicked Dan Marino out. He's retired. You know, terrible final game for Dan Marino. 
And this was the this was the culmination for the Jags after losing in the AFC Championship, making it to the playoffs in 97 and 98. This was their team, right? And you mentioned Carnell Lake came in and they brought in Dom Capers to you know, be defensive coordinator. And you know, they got the best out of Tony Brackens on the defensive line, the best out of Kevin Hardy at linebacker, the best out of all these guys. And then McNair would just make a play like that and just kill everything. So, the, yeah, the Titans just seem to have the Jags number and their playbook, of course. <laughs> um, but but they were – the Jags were firing early. Big, big run by Fred Taylor and, you know, Brunel and Jimmy Smith looking good. And Brunel hits this seven-yard touchdown to Kyle Brady. I, I remember being in my, my parents' basement watching this game. Fired up. I'm not watching with any friends or anything. I was like the only Jags fan in, in New England at the time, but I was fired up. I mean, they looked coming off that Dolphins game and then the their first drive going down and scoring. It looked great. And, and then again, you know, James Stewart scores and they're up 14 7. It's just, you're feeling good. And then you're, you know, pretty much a half away from going to the Super Bowl and it, it all falls apart. It's sad. It's very sad that I have to re- relive this here today, Thomas. Uh, but at least with 99, you, you get the, the full picture of 90s Jags. We can uh, run the gamut on, of 90s Jags experiences, including giving up a touchdown to Yancey Thigpen for the Titans' first score. Is there a name out there that is more distinctly 90s NFL than Yancey Thigpen? No, that's awesome. It goes from the Steelers to the Titans. Uh, I mean, that kind of summed up the Titans, too. He was just a good, solid receiver, the same way Frank Wycheck was just a good, solid tight end and Eddie George at running back and their offensive line. They just had good, solid players everywhere, plus the freak, uh, Javon Curse. But yeah, Yancey Thigpen is classic uh, 90s football. I love that name. Uh, apparently, his name in Pittsburgh was Meatball. And then when he came to the Tennessee Oilers in 98, he changed it to Phil. Uh, quite a journey there. Chris Berman plays it straight in NFL primetime, just calls him Yancey Thigpen. Uh, the name alone gets people going. And Boom and Tej were actually in front of a live audience for this primetime, live from the new ESPN Zone Atlanta. And those aren't around anymore, but did you ever get to mark that one off of your list of ESPN zones to visit? I think I went to one in New York City, maybe back in 99 or so not in Atlanta but I did go I went to New York City maybe in 99 or 2000 to catch a Yankees game and I think I went to an ESPN zone when I was there so let's say I did go to the ESPN zone at some point I went down a a rabbit hole after watching the primetime for this game uh, among some other videos apparently uh, this is from the Baltimore Sun which I think the Baltimore was the flagship ESPN zone uh Staff members will receive 20-minute briefings of condensed sports news before each shift so that everyone from the sous chef to the bartender knows what's going on in the world of sports. So that was an interesting uh, approach to uh, the the restaurant market. Is this a missed opportunity or a future opportunity, uh, maybe a PFF zone where staffers (laughs) before their shift have to sit in the break room and and listen to the PFF NFL show? I I like that. Let's do a PFF zone. I, somebody had the idea that I'm going to steal about more of like a instead of a sports bar, more like a sports coffee shop. I kind of like is I, I drink I don't drink alcohol. I drink coffee, so I kind of like this. I, I love drinking coffee with my sports, and so there we go. That that that's what they. That's what up. I want to do for PFF, right? A sports coffee bar, and yeah, we'll make sure that the baristas all know everything about PFF and PFF grading. I see you're wearing that that jersey. Well. He's due for some sack regression. 
you want, <laughs> yes. you, you want the waiters to be prepared to, yeah. you know. His pass rush grade's not good enough to maintain that sack total. We'll definitely <laughs> uh, keep him informed. <laughs> but uh, Jeff Fisher was also in the zone today, Segway, rocking the Morpheus sunglasses. Uh, the Matrix had just come out on DVD. I don't know if that's a coincidence. And his team was ready to answer each time, keep them in it on defense. McNair throws a pick to Fernando Bryant. Well, Jags get to the goal line, and Brunel on the move to the left, a little bit drifting backwards, but like in the first touchdown, moving left, hitting a tight end, going from right to left. This time, Marcus Robertson jumps it. But the Jags had uh, as many giveaways against the Titans that year as they did against every other team combined. Now, Fisher came in as defensive coordinator for the Oilers in 94. Kevin Gilbride on the other side, the architect of this Jags offense. And then they, they bring in Chris Palmer after Gilbride leaves, another uh, Oilers uh, understudy for Gilbride. Coughlin's now running the offense, but you know the nuts and bolts there for this offense that the Earhart Perkins and you, do you give much credence to Jeff Fisher being there in practice with uh, the key architects uh, back in Houston and whether that gave the Oilers and the 99 Titans uh, an extra edge against the Jags? Yeah, it could be something to that. I mean, also Greg Williams having the playbook. We already uh, yes. we already covered that. That's that's got to be the the actual reason. It was it was an interesting year because you know way back in '96 when I started to love the Jags, it was because of the pass game. It was because Brunel was airing it out, and he had Smith and Ricardo, and they were just an explosive passing attack. But the '99 team, even though they were 14 and two, was actually more of a defensive team. It, it, there was nine games into the season, I think they'd only given up eight touchdowns, right? And again, a lot of it was who they were playing, you know, Rick Meyer at quarterback or Brian Greasy with the Broncos, Tony Banks with the Ravens. But either way, they went from an explosive offense to a really good defense. And there was a time because Tom Coughlin was calling the plays early in the season. I remember watching the Monday night game and they were like, uh, we asked Tom Coughlin if he's too conservative. He just stared at us, you know, and and, and that was Al Michaels. And, in, but the Jags were playing these super conservative games. They beat the Jets 16 to 6, and the MVP of the game was like Brian Barker, the punter, because he just they just played field position. So that was interesting about Coughlin in this offense. The most intimidated I felt interviewing someone was when I, I asked Tom Coughlin a question at Giants training camp in 2011, and he gave me like a brief pause. And eventually gave a nice answer, but like it's Tom Coughlin. He he has that look that uh <laughs> yeah. freezes your soul probably helped him as an NFL head coach. Coughlin would complain in the postgame presser about them, you know, Coughlin fashion, attributing their loss to not running things as sharp as they did in practice. And that interception, that the way that play developed looked a little weird. Like Brunel, yeah. m- maybe thrown off by the Titans, realizing the Titans knew the play and had the playbook. Uh, he but had, like he threw, he threw a blind. He definitely threw a blind. And um, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. And then there's another fourth down uh, conversion in the second half where McCardell and Smith seem to be running to the same spot. Smith reaches out and knocks it down, but it seems like McCardell is nearby and wide open. Some weird stuff going on like that. It seems like a game Coughlin would, where he would be steaming afterward. Yeah, there were so many mistakes in there. So Brunel, Brunel throwing the interception. It's funny because he's my, he's my guy all time favorite player, but I'm not like a, an apologist. I, I don't try to create history that isn't there for Brunel. He threw an inter- in the other AFC championship against New England. He throws an interception in, in the end zone. 
and he did it again with Tennessee, and he did it earlier in the year against Tennessee, that week three game in the rain. So he he didn't come up big in, in some of these games with the turnovers. Um, there was another play at the beginning of the second half because even with some of the mistakes in the first half, it was really the second half where the Jags completely collapsed. And I think to your point, Tom Coughlin probably absolutely steaming because of it. there was uh, Alvis Witted. Um, yeah, I love speed receivers. You know, I think like anyone else who grew up playing Madden, you get the 99 speed guy and you think, oh, he'll just run by the defense. Alvis Witted was like wide receiver four on this team, a track star. And as a Jags fan, I was always thinking, why can't he just run by the defense once or twice a game and create a big play? And he actually did in this game. He was, you know, it was, it was a third down and Brunel gets it to him down the field and he dropped it. And I, I felt like everything turned around on that play. I think it was early second half. So Witted drops the ball and then then the Jags end up fumbling and all, all everything falls apart, you know, from that point, I think, in this game. So, yeah, it was just a, a comedy of errors for a team that, you know, as I said, they were a, cons- a conservative offense that year. They just they took good care of the ball, played good defense. They weren't as explosive as they were previously, but they did just enough offensively. And then in this game, they just uh, absolutely beat themselves. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, brutal turn of events around halftime. Jags are about to get the ball back. Up 14-7, fumble the punt. Uh, and then Titans get the field goal, but Jags still have the ball coming out of the half, and then you get the Elvis Witted drop. So suddenly Titans have the ball back, essentially 14-10 coming out of the half instead of Jags up 17-7 with the ball in Titans territory on the first drive of the, of the second half. Big swing there. Um, and then as you're stewing over that missed opportunity, Steve McNair keeps getting away. Kevin Hardy has a free run. And uh, a sack would push them to the edge of field goal range. He gets the stiff arm. McNair said, talk to the hand. As the kids said those days, at least that's what I heard. I didn't really have friends. We, we moved a lot. And the, the 90s Jags were my friend. Try 
I mean, try wearing a Brunel. You might be the only other person who who's tried wearing a Brunel jersey to school when you're not in the Jacksonville metro area. Uh, <laughs> we could commiserate. I didn't realize that was, that you that you had that. That's great. Brunel Jags and a couple other odd ones, but big uh, '90s Jags enthusiast, starting with the Morton Anderson missed kick. Just a fun journey. Yeah. Jags jerseys coming up here in 2023 versus the '90s Jags kit. What do we think here? I can't believe the Jags ever would have changed their jerseys. I I would never have touched what they had, you know, from from '95 to 2000. Uh, well, more like oh two, oh three. I forget where they switched it. Maybe it was it was a, it was a while after that. Either way, they should have never changed from their original jerseys. They are the best. All they needed to do was make you know they added the black version um, around oh two. I think it was with the black. Uh, black on black um i do like white on white white jerseys with black pants i don't like all teal um but they should have kept the base jersey from the mid 90s and then um iterated on it maybe with like slightly different color schemes so the old jerseys the throwbacks now are absolutely the best for the jags a shame those jerseys did not get a super bowl media week some people who would get some run in the super bowl are uh, kevin dyson who is interfered with by Fernando Bryant gets on the, on that drive where McNair broke away. Uh, that pass interference gets them down inside the 10 yard line where they scored a touchdown. Kevin Dyson of music city miracle fame. And then a week later, one yard short against the Rams kind of wonder which one people remember more Titans goal on offense would very much resemble the 2022 Eagles in this game. McNair QB sneak is automatic. Anyways, Titans up 17, 14. Was there a, a point with Jags playoff games, you know, especially after the, the Jets the year prior and the Broncos a couple years before, over the span in late 90s Jags, where you started worrying primarily what will go wrong suddenly and quickly this time. I think because they were, they had the, you know, the comebacks against the Bills and the Broncos a few years earlier, and they, they got waxed by the Broncos in the 97 playoffs, the previous, and, and then the and then the previous year in 98, they lose to the Jets pretty handily. But because they had all the talent on the outside, I kind of always expected them to come back. I think if I could try to put myself into the headspace of uh, 1999 or really 2000 watching this game, I think I was expecting them to come back in the second half, even when it was, uh, what, 26 to 14 or whatever it was. I still expected them, hey, you, you know, you score a touchdown, but you, you mentioned all the you know fourth down conversion that they couldn't make and some of the fumbles and everything. They just never, never came back. I don't think I was expecting everything to go wrong. I think I was still optimistic that they had the firepower to come back, and, and it really just became a, a disaster of a second half pretty much from start to finish. Yeah, things get really wacky in a sec here. This is a game with 10 combined turnovers. The, the Jaguars would lose four fumbles. Uh, the Titans would lose three. You do have Mark Brunel, Jimmy Smith, and Keenan McCardell, Thunder and Lightning, uh, one of the early incarnations of that nickname, those two receivers. Smith's 75 yards to this point in the third quarter, dwarf everything else happening in the pass game today for either team, and is nearly 8,000 receiving yards from 96 through 2001, dust the league. And the Cowboys prior to that had basically deleted the first four seasons of his career. A dear reader wants to read up on what the Cowboys uh, put Jimmy Smith through. They should have given him comeback player of the year every year after that, just for being around and lighting the league on fire. 
would you like to join me in adding something to the media clippings for the Hall of Fame here? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Smith is absolutely a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think, again, as much as I'm a Mark Brunel fan, watching in hindsight, you know, I still watch the games and everything, Mark got bailed out by Jimmy Smith quite a bit. I mean, he, as a deep threat, he was outstanding. I mean, and Brunel and Brunel and Smith had this awesome connection. I, I mentioned it, I think, in the Broncos show. If they saw press coverage, Jimmy was going deep. And Brunel did throw a beautiful deep ball. And, you know, Smith had that deep speed to run under it. But, again, as a Brunel fan, even after Brunel, uh, they trade him and Byron Leftwich comes in, you saw how good Jimmy Smith was for at least a, a couple of years there through 05, um, where he was by far the best receiver on the Jags, even though they kept trying to get younger and draft first rounders, you know, Reggie Williams and Matt Jones and everybody. Jimmy Smith was still the top receiver and he would still be able to take over games. And um, there was the one year him and Marvin Harrison were one and two in catches. And, you know, Jimmy Smith was, I, I think he was as good as Marvin Harrison, you know, in, in their primes. I thought they were right there together as just outstanding all-around receivers. They could play the possession game. They had the deep speed. They could uh, ball tracking down the field. I think Jimmy Smith had it all. So, yeah, I think of all the Jags, Tony Baselli going to the Hall of Fame was fine. I think Jimmy Smith um, – I would take Jimmy Smith over Fred Taylor, I think, for the, for the Hall of Fame if we're talking, uh, you know, who deserves it from this team. Versus some contemporaries, would you take him versus, say, like Keyshawn, Rod Smith, Eric Moulds? What about a Hall of Famer in here, Isaac Bruce? Yeah, so I, I think Jimmy Smith's better than all those other guys that you mentioned as far as Rod Smith and um, Eric Moulds. I think where it starts to get close, Jimmy Smith, Marvin Harrison, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, I think all of those guys are in a similar echelon and I, I would lean they're probably Hall of Famers. You know, Randy Moss was in that era and I think he's Randy Moss was like a, you know, obviously a once in a lifetime game changer type, but I think the rest of those guys are all Hall of Fame worthy. And Isaac Bruce a week later would have his moment down the sideline against Denard Walker of the Titans uh, in the play that put the Rams up in the Super Bowl for good. Jimmy Smith and Mark Brunell have their own sliding doors moment. Jimmy Smith downfield against Denard Walker. Ball's thrown a little bit too far away from the sideline where maybe Kurt Warner saw something on tape there and said, hey, let's, let's let it rip against Denard Walker down the sideline. Anyways, missed opportunity there. Would have made it 26-21 in the third quarter. Instead, Jaguars remained down 26-14. So you're watching all this. Another frustrating moment. The fourth and two they missed comes right after this. Fumbles, safety, Derek Mason free kick to the house and it gets away quickly. Eventually, you're at 33-14 for much of the fourth quarter. Did watching the Burt Coddick game later that day help you blow off steam from what took place earlier? And uh, were you happy for Keenan McCardell when years later he got his ring with the Bucks, Or was it more a bummer that it was the other Florida team getting its first ring? I loved offense and passing and everything, so I loved the Rams. I loved watching the Rams that year. Um, I wanted nothing more than to see a Jags-Rams Super Bowl in Atlanta, in the Dome, Dom Capers' defense going up against that uh, Mike Martz Rams offense. So I was glad that the Rams won uh, both the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Um, I was, I was really, th I was excited for Keenan uh, winning that Super Bowl in 02 with the Bucks. I was rooting for them and rooting for him. It was, 
you know, people don't, we talk a lot about the salary cap these days and people say, Hey, the salary cap's fake. And it's, it's certainly not, um, you know, there, there are, it, it puts constraints on teams, but teams are so much smarter now and able to handle those constraints and move money around. And even when they're up against the cap, you know, they find ways to spend back then though. I don't think teams knew how to handle the salary cap or the Jags were just really bad at it because they hit this point in 01 and 02 where they really had to cut everybody. I mean, they really had to let Tony Baselli go in the expansion draft and let Keenan McCardle go to Tampa Bay. Um, so I didn't know it at the time, but this team was ready to fall apart, right? They gave it one last shot in 2000 with pretty much with the same team. They weren't the same as on the field. And then they had all these constraints, injuries, but also just they couldn't pay everybody. Um, so, again, my point back then was the salary cap was very real. Teams didn't know how to handle it. And this this was kind of like really the end of uh, the Jags' opportunity to to do something. And so it was great to see Keenan McArdle get that Super Bowl. It was great to see Mark Brunel get a Super Bowl in 09 with the Saints as the holder. You know, I was, I was rooting for that. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, not fun watching it not be my team in 99 this one ends with the i mentioned a comedy of errors uh, for both teams uh, including one by javon curse the freak defensive rookie of the year there's a strip sack uh by a teammate on mark brunell javon curse picks it up and tries a crazy lateral jags get the ball back a series of extra chances this game due to titans turnovers no sacks for javon curse himself this game but to get a better idea of his impact on this one PFF charting would be great here for this AFC title back in 99. Have you pitched Chris a 90s Jags product yet? <laughs> yeah, probably a bunch of times, but uh, I'm also, uh, I also understand business a little bit and understand <laughs> that um, that would, that would not do so hot. Yeah. I, I'm trying to watch some of the highlights again, just to refresh the pain. Yeah. I see curse. I see the curse play right here. It is, um, I, it's funny because I do watch games sometimes like through a PFF lens and it's a lot of times it's like one player focused or I'll watch a play and think about, you know, the impact there. But um, Javon Curse, it did seem like did have a lot of impact in this game and it's certainly, you know, pressure and all that more, more important than just the sack totals. I always I, off the top of my head thought that Tony Brackens for the Jags would be a 90 plus PFF player because not just the strip sacks and the actual stats that he had, he was just an absolute disruptor. He was really, really difficult to block. And I think uh, very underrated because he didn't play a ton of seasons, but when he played full seasons, he was, he was very, very good. Just eye test wise and what you see. So yeah, I would love to see old PFF games grade. Maybe I'll go back and grade some of the good games though. Not, not this 99 championship game here where everything fell apart. This is a wild mess way things played out this season. Uh, the Jags are the perennial 10 to one or better uh, Super Bowl favorite preseason, but you're going to end up with the Titans 30 to one and Rams 150 to one in the Super Bowl. Um, and then where, where you live there in New England, a couple of years later, 60 to one, they go and win the Super Bowl. What was being a Jags fan in New England like in the early 2000s as the Jags tailed off and the Patriots broke through and so much more was possible as far as preseason you know surprise teams winning in the Super Bowl there yeah it was it was an interesting time I think for the NFL I mean I was definitely on an island as a Jags fan you know I think it, what was interesting growing up in New England is when in my early childhood when I was like seven eight nine years old the Patriots were always blacked out because they wouldn't sell out 
the stadium, so you don't get to see them play until about 1993 when they draft Drew Bledsoe and that and Parcells coming in, and it was like, okay, now the Patriots are at least an exciting team to watch, and then they became pretty good, so you'd at least watch them. They'd at least be on TV again, um, but I was never really a big Patriots fan growing up. I enjoyed watching them, and it was fun, but I jumped on the Jags bandwagon in 96 and was just very much on my own, but I had other friends who did that, you know, a friend who just liked Charles Woodson. So he became a Raiders fan. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the area were not, a lot of my friends growing up weren't really diehard Patriots fans because they didn't grow up with a good team to watch. They grew up with one of the worst teams in the NFL. And so a lot of people just, uh, jumped onto other teams. I remember neighbors like in the bears and what, you know, whichever national teams were, were fun at the time, you know? First Super Bowl of the 21st century, and we get Jeff Fisher doing his best Lawrence Fishburne impression instead of the 90s Jags getting their day in front of America, perhaps changing the trajectory of the at least the 2000s there. Well, what does this alternative universe look like? So the Jags go to the Super Bowl against the Rams. That's the universe that we should have lived in. That's the one that that's what should have happened. It's what I needed. Um I think the Rams probably win <laughs> based off what we saw. But who knows? The Jags didn't lose to anyone else besides the Titans that year. But yeah, Dom, Dom Capers brings, uh, you know, they had the most, the Jags had the most sacks in the NFL that year. They had uh, fewest points allowed in the NFL that year. If they had at least taken care of the ball against the Rams, I think we've got a very good game. Maybe a game that comes down to one yard. Um, it would have been a great game. But it is funny, as much as I loved. Brunel and the the pass catchers there, there was a little piece of me that year that wished that the the Jags had, who had the same firepower as the Rams, I wish they would just be a little more aggressive. Like I just I wish that they put some more points on the board. I, I honestly wish that they used Fred Taylor the way that the Rams used Marshall Falk as a pass game weapon. I don't think Fred Taylor had that same type of receiving ability. He he would have some random drops and. But but every now and again you'd line up up line him up out wide and use his speed and just create a deep play and um, did that against the Ravens back in '98. So there was a part of me that kind of wished that the Jags played like the Rams, and that's why I really wanted to see that matchup and 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 see the Jags have to keep up with uh, the greatest show on turf and Kurt Warner and you know Bruce and Holt and As Hakeem and it you would have seen a ton of really good playmakers on the field in a dome, you know, a little easier to throw the ball there. So I think you would have seen a great game. Maybe the Rams were a better team at the end of the day, but um, man, I wish I could go back and, and see that game. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.